want us to bow our heads as we open the word together. Father, you are our mighty fortress. Many of us today find ourselves caught in the in the flow of the great controversy, under fire, on many different fronts. And right now, I just pray that you and your heavenly host would just place a hedge of protection around each and every one of us. We pray to be fitted up with the full armor of God today, and especially with the sword of the Spirit. God, we're asking that as we open up the Bible today, you would speak to us. We want to know what it is to follow Jesus. We want to know what it looks like in the flesh, and we want that to be not just a nice idea, but we want that to be our living reality. So please, God, do this miracle and instruct us because we need to understand your will so that we can do your will. Lord, we pray to be hearers of the word and doers of it also. This is our heart's desire. In Jesus' name, let the family say, amen. Amen. Happy Sabbath, church. Thank you, gentlemen, for the awesome music. Um, I tell you what, there's nothing like the gift of music. God gives us music to kind of translate the, the thoughts and deep movements of our hearts. So thank you for sharing your gift in that. Awesome. Thank you, Frank. You'll notice that we're busting out the whiteboard today because we're going to do a little bit of drawing. All right. Uh, I will refrain from stick figures. Um, but this is just to help us conceptualize what we're talking about because today's message is a continuation of yesterday, or not yesterday, last week's sermon we're going into the DNA of discipleship. What is it that, that really are the building blocks of following Jesus? What are these building blocks? Today we're talking about cornerstone commitments. Now, I will be the first to confess, I am not a builder. I know that in this congregation we are in the midst of very gifted and skillful builders. <laughs> I'm not one of them. Give me a box of Legos and I might build you something. But other than that, concrete and all that stuff, I, I like to spread it around and pretend, but really I'm not. But what I do know is that when the Bible speaks of cornerstones, when the Bible speaks of cornerstones, it's speaking of a, a, a piece in the building, a part of the foundation work that sets the edge and determines exactly the course of how the rest is to be built. Today we're talking about cornerstone commitments of discipleship. Because I believe that when Jesus called his disciples to follow him, yes, that was one commitment, but there were several commitments that Jesus called for that really set the edge and established the tone of what it was to follow Jesus. And so what we're going to do in this study, we're going to study the Gospel of Matthew, and we're going to look at critical junctures in the experience of the disciples where Jesus actually called for a deeper commitment from the twelve. Do you follow that today? Okay, so that's what we're going to do, and we're calling these cornerstone commitments. If you're taking notes, you can draw the things that you'll see here on this board, or at least draw them uh, ten times better. All right, so we're starting basically with something that will look like a baseball diamond, though that's not what I'm really going for. But we're going to the Gospel of Matthew, and I want now to start in Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4. And here is that familiar story we looked at last week, except from the Gospel of Mark. But here in Matthew chapter 4, we're going to see the first call, the first commitment that was garnered from the disciples. Matthew chapter 4, beginning in verse 18. If you're there, say amen. amen. 
All right, Matthew chapter 4, verse 18. Matthew is the first gospel of the New Testament. Chapter 4, verse 18. I'm reading from the New King James. I'll read through verse 20. The Bible says, And Jesus, walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and Andrew his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were what kind of men? Fishermen. All right. Naturally, they're throwing nets as fishermen, but Jesus has a different design for them. In verse 19, the Bible says, Then he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Do you love that? Jesus says, Hey, commit to me, and I'm going to make you become something. I'm going to turn you into something else. Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Verse 20, they immediately left their nets and followed him. Last week, we looked at this, what the call to discipleship really entails. But right now, for our purposes, I want us to establish that the first cornerstone commitment, the first commitment in the journey of discipleship is first and foremost a commitment to Christ. It's a commitment to who? Christ. Okay, so here is cornerstone commitment number one. It's a commitment to Christ. I know I'm not writing big enough. I have that tendency. I hope that's okay. (laughs) But it's a commitment first and foremost to Christ. The journey of discipleship, by the way, always and only begins with Jesus. And I should also say that it always and only begins with a surrender to Jesus. Because if you've ever tried to be a disciple without fully giving your heart to Jesus, you know that it's pure drudgery. To try to follow God only halfway is to live a double life that is worse than H-E double hockey sticks. Okay? Uh, to, to use, it, to use that, that language graphically, to try to follow God when you're not all the way in, to try to serve two masters is to live a divided life. And so what Jesus calls for first and foremost is a commitment to Christ. That's the cornerstone number one. Today, what we're going to ask now is, okay, we know that much. We know that he's calling us to follow him. We know that when he calls us, we're called to to leave all of our nets. But then what? What does that journey look like? And so what we're going to do now is we're just going to breeze through the gospel of Matthew and identify those critical junctures where, where Jesus actually has the 12 to himself. We know that Jesus is often surrounded by multitudes. He's often surrounded by by crowds. He gives them teachings. He gives them instructions. But there are certain times where Jesus has just the disciples. And he's calling for a deeper commitment. He's laying down a cornerstone commitment. All right? So now what we're going to do is we're going to go to chapter 7. You're in the Gospel of Matthew. Turn a few pages over to chapter 7. If you have a red-letter Bible like me, You'll notice something all throughout chapter 5, 6, and 7. What do you see there in chapter 5? It's all red letters, right? This is all one discourse. It's commonly known as the Sermon on the the Mount, okay? It starts in chapter 5. And if you actually take a peek at chapter 5, verse 1, you see that Jesus sees multitudes coming to him. But in chapter 5, verse 1, it says, He went up on a mountain... And when he was seated, his disciples came to him. Then he opened his mouth and taught them, saying the rest of the Sermon on the Mount. 
So here's what I want us to understand, because we're going to see at the very end of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus makes a very specific appeal. And yes, it's an appeal that he wants everybody to hear, but specifically, his primary audience is those 12. Okay, take a look, Matthew chapter 7, Matthew chapter 7, now in verse 24 and 25. Matthew chapter 7, verse 24 and 25, the Bible says, Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it did not fall, for it was founded where? It was founded on the rock. How many of you want to be founded on the rock today? Amen. Amen. Here's what's interesting. What stands out to me is that after Jesus calls for a commitment to himself, right, to Jesus himself, by Jesus himself, to be with him, what Jesus now calls for is a commitment to grow. It's a commitment to growth. And we'll write this up here, cornerstone number two. It's a commitment to growth. Commitment to growth. In other words, it's not just a commitment to be with Christ, but to be like Christ. And here at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, the very first thing that he wants his disciples to know as he's taught them about what it is to live righteously, what it is to pray, what it is to seek first the kingdom of God, what it is to not worry about the little things and let God take care of those things, what it is to interact with, with those of your closest kin and, and, and those that you want to judge, but you know, what it, all these principles are. At the end of this, Jesus says, those who hear these words of mine and do them they are like a man who builds a house on a rock. The appeal here is be like this man. The appeal here is be a hearer and a doer of the word. To be a hearer and a doer of the word. And friends, when we hear the word and do the word, we are not only building on Christ, we are becoming like so one of the first commitments after we commit this cornerstone commitment to Christ, we're committing now to growth. We're committing to become like Jesus as we hear the word and do the word. Friends, do you know the power of the word of God? The power of the word of God in Genesis 1 is to actually give life where there was no life. The power of the word of God is to speak light where there is only darkness. The power of the word of God is to transform and change our lives. What Jesus wanted his disciples now was to experience healing and wholeness, victory and freedom. When Jesus called these guys, he wanted to turn them from, some of them were known as sons of thunder. Did you know that? Two, James and John, they were called sons of thunder. This was not a term of endearment. Here, honey. No, 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 no. That's, it, that's, it was a warning to people. Hey, guys, these are sons of thunder. Watch your step, all right? But after being with Jesus, hearing him, and doing his word, guess what? They become beloved disciples. This is the transforming process that in the, the cornerstone of growth, that stage of growth, we become like Jesus. And this happens only as we take time to hear and do the word of God. Friends, do you know that, 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 that statement, um, what is it, uh, bad company? corrupts good morals. Am I mixing that up? Did I just totally slander that? What is it? <laughs> corrupts good character. In other words, the people that you hang out with, you become like, right? The more you behold, that's what you become. 
And the disciples are called to be with Jesus. They're called to hear his word, do his word. And it's in the presence of Jesus that we're transformed. Now, I have often asked the question, wow, if I could only be like the 12, where I could walk with Jesus and talk with Jesus, oh, then my life would be set. Have you ever thought that to yourself? Or maybe like the children of Israel, who had that pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night. Boy, if only I had the personal presence of God with me, then, then I would know where to go. Do you know, friends, how you and I in the 21st century can be with Jesus? It's through his word. There's a powerful statement in a book called Patriarchs and Prophets. I want to read this to you. It's page 504. It says this, Every chapter and every verse of the Bible is a communication from God to men. We should bind its precepts as signs upon our hands and as frontlets between our eyes, if studied and obeyed. In other words, if heard and done, right? If studied and obeyed, it would lead God's people as the Israelites were led by the pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night. In other words, when we hear and do, we have the personal presence of God. We can be with Jesus and become like him. Wow. So the commitment to growth is a matter of being immersed in the word. But I want us to hear another side of the coin, so to speak. Go to Matthew chapter 9. Matthew chapter 9, the very last few verses of Matthew chapter 9. We're still on the cornerstone commitment to growth. Matthew chapter 9. The very last few verses. Matthew chapter 9, I believe it's verse 36. When you're there, say amen. All right. Matthew chapter 9, beginning in verse 36. The Bible says, But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them. I love the heart of Jesus. Because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd, then he said to his disciples, The harvest truly is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Who is he speaking to in verse 37? His disciples, right? Okay, here's one of those defining moments. He says to his disciples, the harvest truly is plentiful, but the laborers are few. And what's the instruction in verse 38? Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. And as Matthew is writing this gospel, the very next breath, so to speak, in the narrative is chapter 10, verse 1. And when he had called his, who? Twelve disciples to him, he gave them power over unclean spirits, to cast them out and to heal all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease. I want you to catch the flow of this. Jesus has the 12 in his audience, and he says, he looks at the multitudes, he sees all the needs, they're like sheep without a shepherd, and he says to the 12, pray for laborers. And then the very next thing he does is he sets them about to be an answer to that prayer. You pray for laborers. Now go answer your prayer. Part of the commitment to growth, friends, is not just to be with Jesus, but to take Jesus to the world. Part of the commitment to growth is not just about what we get from God, but what we give to others. And so this this cornerstone commitment of growth is to, to, to listen to Jesus, to live like Jesus, and to serve like Jesus. But we know, actually, if you just keep reading down in chapter 10, verse 8, at the very end of verse 8, it says, Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. So we cannot give 
what we haven't first received, right? And that's why it's so important that we be with Jesus so that we can take the message of Jesus to the world. So this is cornerstone commitment number one, the commitment to Christ, to follow him, to leave our nets behind. Cornerstone commitment number two, the commitment to growth, to become like Christ. So not just be loyal to Jesus, but to actually become like Jesus. And that's a matter of immersing ourselves in the word so we can be hearers and doers and not just receiving it for ourselves, but giving it to others. Do we follow today, yes or no? Yeah? All right. Cornerstone commitment number three. And here, I'll just kind of preview it for you. It's a commitment to prophecy. A commitment to prophecy. Now, it might seem like I'm pulling this out of a hat, and I'm not. What I'm doing is I've surveyed Matthew just throughout this week, and I'm looking for those appeals that Jesus is making. So what's the next one that he gets to? In Matthew chapter 16. Go there with me. Matthew chapter 16. In Matthew chapter 16, and we're going to go to, we're going to go to verse 24. Matthew chapter 16, verse 24. When you're there, say, I found it. Okay. In Matthew chapter 16, just a little bit of a runway. Jesus is with his disciples. He asks them kind of an opinion poll. Who do men say that I am? Some say you're John the Baptist. Some say you're the prophet. Some say you're Elijah, etc. Jesus says, who do you say that I am? Simon Peter speaks up first. You're the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus gives him a gold star. and says that was revealed to you by your father in heaven. And in chapter 16, thereafter in verses 21, in verse 21, Jesus begins to break down for the very first time that what it means to be the Messiah is not to sit on an earthly throne and rule an earthly kingdom. But what it is to be the Messiah is to be the suffering servant who gives his life for the ransom of many. The very first time the disciples hear this, and how does Peter respond? The gold star student actually gets up out of his seat and rebukes Jesus. You remember this story? The created rebukes the creator. And Jesus has to set him straight. Get thee behind me, Satan. For you don't have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. And in verse 24, in the context of this, what you might say, a prophetic revelation to the disciples. In verse 24, Jesus says to his disciples, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and do what? And follow me. Very interesting. This sounds awfully familiar, right? In Cornerstone Commitment number one, Jesus walked up to the shore of the Lake of Galilee, or Sea of Galilee, and he said, follow me. But here, in chapter 16, verse 24, this call to follow him is a little bit more intense. Wouldn't you agree? It's a little bit more intense. Take up your cross, deny yourself, disown yourself, and then follow me. What is going on here? This commitment that we're talking about here is a commitment to understand the revealed will of God through prophecy. Recognizing that prophecy actually demands from us a greater self-surrender and a greater urgency in that sacrifice. Let me see if I can break this down a little bit more. 
in this story, it was the prophetic insight. It was the fuller understanding of God's will that demanded from the disciples a deeper commitment of self-surrender. Did you follow that? Uh, in other words, you know, I recently just kind of finished the book of Genesis in my personal devotions. One of the key stories that stands out to me in Genesis is always Genesis chapter 22. Abraham hears from God, and God says to Abraham, take your son, your only son, whom you love, and go offer him as a sacrifice to the mount, on the mount that I show you. You remember that story? And I've always kind of wondered what it was like for Isaac. Boy, you know, we talk about the faith of Abraham. What about the faith of Isaac? He gets up early in the morning. Dad says, hey, we're going on a trip. Kid says, I mean, he's not a kid. He's not a kid by this time. But he's his son. He says, I'll go with you, Dad. I trust you. Three days journey, Isaac trusts Abraham. They start to climb this mountain. Isaac starts asking the very pointed questions that I'm sure he should have asked a long while back. We've got everything ready for the sacrifice, but where's the sacrifice? Isaac has been following his dad, yes, with trust and surrender. But when that full revelation of what's really happening is laid before Isaac, wouldn't you say his full surrender actually gets fuller? When we understand the big picture of where all of these things are leading, it actually calls from us a recommitment of Cornerstone One. But it calls for it with a prophetic edge. Friends, the purpose of prophecy is not to scare. The purpose of prophecy is to call for a deeper commitment to Christ. Prophecy, at its core, is always a revelation of Jesus. Do you believe that? Prophecy, at its core, is always a revelation of Jesus. That's why, you know, in Revelation 12, 17, uh, we're told that the, the people of God, that the, the dragon is wrathful towards, they keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus. And in chapter 19, verse 10, we're told that testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. In other words, prophecy is always to testify about Jesus. And so when we are committed to understanding prophecy, when we are committed to truly understanding the fully, full revealed will of God, it's going to call for us a more full surrender to Jesus. Cornerstone commitment number one, a commitment to Christ. Cornerstone commitment number two, a commitment to growth. Cornerstone number three, a commitment to prophecy. And so what does this mean for us practically? Understand the testimony of Jesus. Seek it out. Seek it out so you can give more of yourself to Jesus. All right. You ready for cornerstone number four? Cornerstone number four. Prophecy is always going to climax to the main event, and that's the second coming. So here's cornerstone number four. A commitment to the what? The second coming. A commitment to the second coming. Go with me in your Bibles a few chapters later. Matthew chapter 24. Matthew chapter 24. As Jesus is discipling the disciples, as he's revealing more and more of the will of God, it always leads to a longing to prepare for that main event, the second coming. And so in Matthew chapter 24, the disciples are now asking questions like, hey, what, what is the sign of your coming, and when shall these things happen? 
And in Matthew chapter 24, Jesus goes ahead and he actually describes things that they are to look forward to, uh, both in the immediate future and in the far future. And by the time he comes to the end of these things, in Matthew 24, verse 42, again, he has audience with his disciples, and he's giving them specific instruction as they, as they are now having in view the second coming and the defining appeal here in verse 42. The Bible says, Watch, therefore, for you do not know what hour your Lord is coming. The appeal here is to watch. It's to pray. It's to prepare for the second coming. What Jesus is calling for is that they would, would have always in view that no matter what they're doing, what, whatever responsibilities, what kind of uh, things they're doing from day to day, that they would run the earth while watching the sky. Watch and pray. How? So how? You know, the natural question that I'd be asking is, okay, how do I watch? Do I just like put my fingers in my eyelids and what does it mean to watch? And you'll notice that from this point, from verse 42 on, Jesus now starts into parable mode. He starts using parables to illustrate what it's like to watch. Some of those more famous parables in Matthew chapter 25, you'll notice that his discourse at this point continues on into Matthew chapter 25. And in Matthew 25, we see three parables. One is about the ten virgins. You remember this story? Five wise, five foolish. The point is, get oil for yourself, right? In other words, when you have a vision of the second coming, what it is to watch is to prepare yourself. Amen. Prepare yourself. But there's a second component, because the next two parables are less about self and more about others. The parable of the talents. Some, one received five, one received two, one received another, or just one. And these servants, they invested themselves, the first two invested themselves and made good on what was trusted to them. The last one didn't do anything, had no concern for that. In other words, they were putting their time, their talents, their treasure for the glory of God. And in that third parable, the parable of the sheep and the goats, Matthew chapter 25, there's that parable, what you've done for the least of these brothers of mine, you've done it unto me. In other words, when we really have a vision of the second coming, we are not only concerned about preparing ourselves and filling ourselves with oil, we are concerned about how we can give our time, our talents, our treasure, so that others can be prepared as well. Amen? <laughs> if you truly believe the second coming is near, friends, people ought to know. You know that kids, everybody ought to know right? Everybody ought to know. Everybody ought to know. And so here we are, cornerstone commitment number one, a commitment to Christ, to leave our nets behind. Cornerstone commitment number two, to actually become like Christ, to grow into his image as we immerse ourselves in the word and give ourselves for the sake of others. Cornerstone number three really is a mirror image of number one. I don't know if you realize, it's a mirror image, but with a prophetic edge. Now that we see the full revealed will of God, I want to take up my cross and truly follow him. And then cornerstone commitment number four, a commitment to the second coming, to prepare ourselves and others. And when you think of it like that, it really is a mirror of cornerstone number two. What we're seeing is that the latter are intensified as we're moving towards the main event. So question today is, 
has Jesus laid these cornerstones in your life? Has Jesus laid these cornerstones in your life? And if not, which ones need to be strengthened? Which ones need to be built up? Which, which ones need to be cemented? Now here's the truth. If we were to just kind of process this more and think about it a little bit more, some of us are really, some of us are really comfortable with settling with one or just a few of these cornerstones. Uh, we, we try to build one-sided walls, you know? I, I really, I'm not into prophecy because I just don't get it. Yeah? Uh, I'm just going to kind of ignore these things. I'll just focus on, on this portion of the cornerstone. Or some of us actually flip-flop and say, we only want prophecy. Give me the prophecy because I want this world to end. But we've neglected committing ourselves to Christ and really becoming like him. So some of us, we, we kind of mix match and things like this, but what God wants to do is lay all of these cornerstones and truly build us up into the image of a disciple. So which of these cornerstones has Jesus kind of laid before your eyes today as an appeal for you to strengthen in your own life? If it's that first commitment you haven't even committed to Christ, friend, leave your nets behind and follow him. Identify whatever it is uh, that you value more than Jesus and be willing to say, you know what? In the scheme of eternity, <laughs> this is all going to burn in the first place. You know? Commit yourself to Jesus. Why wait? If it's cornerstone number two, you're wanting to grow. Friend, immerse yourself in the personal presence of Christ by hearing and doing the word. And when you pray that others would hear the word too, go be an answer to that prayer. If it's the commitment to prophecy and you're not sure how, how you're going to grasp these things, friend, first and foremost, as you approach prophecy, it's not about beasts and numbers. It's about Jesus. As you study the prophecies, look for the testimony of Jesus. And when you see that, allow him to call from you to take up your cross and follow him. If it's that fourth, the commitment to the second coming, Maybe you've been asking, how long, O oh Lord? Refresh the vision. Refresh the vision of the second coming in your heart and mind. And realize that this is a blessed hope. It's not pie in the sky. This is a real hope that actually gives meaning and purpose to our everyday lives. So if that's a commitment that you need to be strengthened, friends, refresh the vision and invest your time, talents, and treasure in preparing others for that. These are the four cornerstones, and, and really, uh, these are things that Jesus wants to do in all of our lives. How many of you are willing, as we bow our heads in prayer, just I really want to encourage you and appeal to you to allow Jesus to identify what is that cornerstone that needs to be reset or set in the first place and strengthened. What is that cornerstone? And so maybe you've drawn it out on, on paper, Go ahead and circle it right now. X marks the spot. I don't know, whatever you want to do. And just commit yourself. God, throughout this week and the next coming weeks, as we talk about DNA of discipleship, Father, I want you to strengthen those, that cornerstone. Let's bow our heads together as we pray. Father, we thank you that when we, we choose to follow you, it's not just haphazard. It's not just a good luck, we'll see how it goes. <laughs> There are others who have walked this road before, and you walked it with the 12 disciples. 
Some responded differently than others, Lord, but we want to, to follow you with all our hearts. And so I just lift up a prayer for each of my friends in this room. We are at different uh, stages of our Christian growth. We are at different stages of our being built up into a disciple. And I ask God that your Holy Spirit would meet our specific need. Father, we're praying for nets that need to be left. We ask that you would strengthen us to follow Jesus. We're praying that you would immerse us in the word so that we would be hearers, doers, and laborers too. God, we're praying for a greater understanding of the prophecies of scripture, a greater understanding of your will so that we can truly know and surrender to Jesus. We're praying for a refreshed vision of the soon second coming, that this would compel us to prepare ourselves and to prepare others. Oh Lord, please make us disciples so we can make other disciples. And as we have in view the second coming, may we uh, have run this course of the four cornerstones so that we can run others through this course of the four cornerstones. Father, we pray that you would Make us disciples. In Jesus' name, let everyone say.